this week's mixed picks with an email uh, that we got from uh, Greg uh, that says, I love the mixed picks podcast to find an entertaining and in-depth sports podcast is damn near impossible because it's either boring or the host is trying to do weird things that are well, just weird. However, mixed picks with Rob and Steve is one of the best I've ever heard and will replace my regular sports cast from here on out. Sorry if you covered this in the past, but Rob, will you always be a part of the mixed picks cast moving forward absolutely unless steve fires me and i don't know if he has the authority to do that uh but uh, steve and i have texted or emailed i think after every one of these we're only on our I think our fourth one and we are having way too much fun doing this and um i appreciate that email and I, because steve and i actually we didn't do a ton of like prep for the design of this other than like we said in the very first one we want it to sound like a couple or a few guys who are just sitting around a bar or your living room talking about sports, and this thing just flows, and you and I have been doing this in, in various forms for over 20 years, so I know you're having fun at this, Steve. Oh, a- absolutely. This is, honestly, this is like a dream come true. This is what I've always enjoyed. You know, you and I have known each other a long time. Even when we've gone out and golfed, it's just talk <laughs> about sports and and the various things, and, and it's just so comfortable and and, uh, it, you know, I've always enjoyed it and and uh, want to continue and glad we're bringing this to the listeners so they can hear some of our conversations and agree or disagree. And so much of what we try to do here is we go, you know, further in depth and, and we try to also expand a little bit on what you've been doing most of your career, sports betting, sports picking, sports books. Uh, and Matthew has an interesting question that I don't know if you and I ever really had a chance to dive in on. Uh, after it was such a big story, he says we're approaching a year since California voted against two propositions to allow sports gambling in the state. In fact, they weren't even close, though, the outcome. What are you hearing from those uh, at the top? I don't know the top of what or who uh, about another attempt to put sports gambling back on the ballot. I mean, it's in how many states now, Steve? And, and I, I don't know the inner politics in California. I think that was there were too many choices and all that. But aren't most states doing it now? Yeah, I believe 38 states now have legalized sports betting. You figure you're going to end up at 48. Hawaii's never going to have it. Utah's never going to have it. But we're to the majority, large majority of the United States. California, I think, will get there. You know, we discussed it at the time on the last ballot. It it was a bad – there was two proposals. One was by the Indian Reservations, which said they did not want mobile. So you had to come in. It was a retail offer only. And most everyone wants a mobile product. The problem is, is the other one, which was put forward by the big sportsbook companies was not a retail. It was a mobile only. And if you look at that for the sake of California, it's these companies don't reside in California. They don't have any investment. They really have to make in California. They're making their profits. They're pulling it out elsewhere. Yes, they're going to be taxed. But that was not a retail in any way. I think they have to find a middle ground to where if you want to have a sports book in California, you're going to have to open a retail operation. So there is that vested interest in the state. And then from there, you're allowed the mobile because I don't think retail only 
will ever pass. And I really don't believe that mobile only will ever pass. They have to find that compromise. Yeah, and, and with California in particular, the Indian casinos have to be involved. Uh, but there is ultimately too much money for everybody to not make this happen. Absolutely. And I honestly thought something would pass until I read what the two proposals were the first time. I was hoping there was actually a third, which was the middle ground that never hit the ballot. It's not going to be on the ballot in 2024. So now you're looking at 2028 at the earliest. And I find it hard to believe that in 2028, as you said, there's way too much money involved in this to not allow this to pass in some form. They just have to find a way to present it that makes everyone get a piece of that pie. And by then, you could be up to close to 45 states that are doing it. They're going to see the revenue. And you're also going to have a population base that is going to, for the most part, be like, why can we not do it? I mean, you're talking about the biggest state. Even by 2028, regardless of whatever happens politically, California will still be the most populated state. And there will be too much uh, pressure. Let's get into what we do uh, for most of this podcast, which is talk sports. He's Steve Mickelson from Mix Picks, two Ks in mix, two Ks from uh, two Ks in picks. Uh, that's mixpicks.com, and he's with us on radradio.com uh, every Monday and Friday morning. Yes, you know, Steve, the uh, the Ryder Cup is this weekend. This is this has been a nothing. Then it's been a big deal. And now for me personally, it's not much of anything. I don't know if that's because Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson aren't part of golf anymore. It's the United States versus Europe. There have been some amazing moments historically. Um, I don't know if my if my appetite for golf is soured by the whole live golf thing, but I, I just I have not been watching a lot of golf. There are some big names this weekend. Rory McIlroy, John Hamm uh, on the uh, on the European side. Uh, the big thing people are talking about is the golf course, which is super short. So you might hear have a lot of big hitters. But what's your interest level with any of this at this point? I think I fall into the main public with golf. Tiger Woods is involved. We were all <laughs> excited about it. We watched it. It was much watched pretty much every single week. You saw that from the betting aspect is whenever Tiger would play, you know, wagers on the golf tournament would increase substantially over what it is. My problem with the Ryder Cup, and I understand it, is just golf is an individual sport. And I think Europe is way better at playing team golf, <laughs> and they have that camaraderie. You watch the USA team, and yes, they say they do and they try to, but you never really see it out on the course to the extent that the Europeans do. Tiger and Phil not playing to me just, again, takes away from it. You can't have them playing forever. You know, USA is going into this. They haven't won in Europe since 1993. <laughs> Europe's won something like seven of the last 10 Ryder Cups. So while, yes, it's exciting for the hardcore, it's a different concept in that team golf. And it just, to me, seems that the USA has never fully embraced it to the extent that the Europeans have, which gives them the advantage. Now, you mentioned that when Tiger was playing and active, that betting went up. Do people bet on the Ryder Cup much? Uh, it's a pick em right now. USA open a slight favor, but no, it's it's not not a hugely bet event. Uh, you know, nothing like the Masters or anything like that. It's pretty much just like a normal, regular, you know, non 
golf tournament in a sense. You know, it's not a major. Uh, let's get to uh, Major League Baseball. Season's almost over. First things first, Baseball Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson died at the age of 86. He was the Baltimore Orioles' third baseman. Stood out as one of the greatest defensive players who ever lived. Two-time World Series champ, MVP, 16 consecutive gold gloves. He was, he was before my time. I always knew the name. Uh, he is one of the big ones. Did you ever get to see him play, Steve? Yes, I saw him late in his career. He wasn't quite the same. Uh, great player, great defensive hitter. I mean, great defensive player. You know, he was a pretty good hitter. He wasn't great, you know, so it wasn't like a Mike Schmidt where he's going to hit 500-plus home runs and, you know, be a home run leader, an RBI leader. But he played defense so wonderfully with the Orioles. And, and he was just everything I've ever seen or read with him. He was just a really good guy. So it, it's a shame. All the Oriole fans I knew growing up, and yes, there were a few, but they were all Brooks Robinson fans. They weren't Jim Palmer fans, right. which is what <laughs> you would have thought they would be because Palmer was their big starting pitcher. But Brooks Robinson was just a lovable person. And, uh, you know, the world's going to miss him. Uh, we're down to, what, five games uh, in the uh, in the regular season. Uh, and uh, the, the race in the American League, we know the Rays are getting in. It's kind of a similar conversation that we had a week ago with some of the numbers changed. The Blue Jays have the advantage right now. Astros and Mariners, of those three, who who somebody's getting left out, aren't they? Or, 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 or who's getting in? Well, I think the Orioles win it. The Rays obviously are already in. I think the Blue Jays should get in. Twins won the Central. I think the Rangers are going to win the West. Just not enough games there. And I'm pulling for the Astros over the Mariners. So, sorry, Seattle. I'm not thinking you're making it. Do we have to let the Astros in again? You know, that's that's the big whine, right, Steve? Is God the Astros again? I Yes, but they're really good. You know, they went out and they picked up Justin Verlander at the trade deadline. You know, Jordan Alvarez is is a top-notch slugger in the league. He can draw walks, hits for power. They just have a lot of talent. You, you can't penalize them for having the talent. I get the whole cheating scandal and everything, which is never going to let them live it down, but they're still a really good team. So let's jump over to the National League, and we'll start with the, a really good team, the, the Atlanta Braves, who you and I are of the right age to remember the 14 straight East championships that they captured from 91 to 2005, resulting in one World Series, which was always the rub against that Braves team, that the the the, the Maddoxes and the Smoltzes and the incredible talent that, that they had. Now the Braves have won five consecutive National League East titles. They won the World Series in 2021, but are we back into the same pattern with the Braves, enough talent to win championships in their league, but not the World Series? I think this team is the favorite to win the World Series. This team has power. They have speed. You look at what Ronald Acuna Jr. did, you know, 40 stolen bases. I'm sorry, 60 stolen bases, 40 home runs. I mean, he is a superstar in the game. They have enough good pitching. Those teams of the Braves before had a lot of pitching, and then they had Chipper Jones, and they had Andrew Jones, and they had little pieces that fit here and there. Terry Pendleton at one point was a big player on that team. But this team is built differently. This team has the power, the offense, to go with a pretty good pitching staff. They're not elite like the Braves in the past. I think this Braves team is built to win in the postseason where those prior Braves teams, and they were a lot of fun to watch, but if their hitting wasn't there, 
you know, that's what we watched. They hit the World Series, and and their pitching wasn't quite good enough because they're going up against the best, and they just couldn't score enough runs. This Braves team can score on anybody. That's uh, the final spot in the National League uh, to me is fascinating, mainly because of the schedule of the three teams, two of which can get in: the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, and the Marlins. The Marlins play the miserable Mets and the and the uh, Pirates. The uh, the Cubs have to play the Braves. The question there always is, will the Braves be playing their stars and their hitters and the Brewers? And the Diamondbacks have the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros, which why are the Diamondbacks finishing up with two American League teams? That seems really stupid and kind of anticlimactic considering there's a race to get into the final spot. But who, who do you like, too, with all that? Well, I'm rooting for the Diamondbacks because they have a couple of top-notch pitchers at the front of that rotation, which can really make the playoffs interesting because you've shortened your series there. I'm also pulling for the Cubs. I'd love to see the (laughs) Cubs get in. You know, the Reds, they're a game and a half behind the Cubs. A lot of good talent, but I think their time's coming. They will be a much better team in the upcoming years. So I'm rooting for them there. The Marlins... I've never been sold on the Marlins. I wasn't last year. I thought they overachieved this year. I think they're overachieving, which is credit to the organization and the team, but I'm pulling for the Cubs here. But a point that you brought up this year, the baseball went to a new schedule. They went to the balanced schedule as opposed to the unbalanced schedule. Prior years, you'd play, I believe it was 18 games against the teams in your division. You always finish the season against those teams. This year, they went with the balance which means you're going to play every team in baseball. At least I believe it was four games, two or four games. And because of the way they set the schedule up, we're watching Arizona finish with the American League, which to me as a fan, that's not how I want to see the playoffs determined. So they're playing the White Sox who have been out of it since June, and they're going to determine whether or not they get in. They need to be playing the Dodgers. They need to be playing the Padres and they need to play the Giants at the end of the season to determine their division. And that's one of the things baseball changed. We didn't hear a whole lot about it the entire season, but if this turns out to have that effect and and I think Arizona deserves to get in. So I'm not going to say, Oh, well, they didn't play anybody at the end of the season. And that's where they got in. They're a really good team this year with, as I said, a couple of really good pitchers at the front of that rotation. It's just, if I'm the Cubs sitting there going, great, I got to play the Brewers, I got to play the Braves, and they get to play the White Sox, who's not even in the National League, it, it just doesn't seem fair. And and as a Cubs fan, I'm, I'm screaming, what the heck's going on here? You know, this isn't right. They should have to play the teams in their division to close out the season. We watch it with the NFL. We've watched it with baseball for all these years, and that's not the way it's being done now in the major leagues. Now, when we talked on Monday, Steve, uh, you you – I didn't get the impression that you were, in fact, I think you overtly said, you're still on the Dion train, but you did say the excitement's over in Colorado this year. Not not that it's over, over, there won't be interest. They got the big game this weekend, but the, the what was it, 42 to 6 lead, and it wasn't even that close, or 42 to, two to 6 loss, rather, against Oregon, brought them down to earth. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically, if everybody stays around, next year, Colorado could really be something. Dion is still amazing. But at this point, let's just kind of watch and enjoy what we're getting because they're not going to be part of the big picture when the season's over. Is that fair? That's very fair. They're not going to be part. I mean, they're 21 and a half point, you know, (laughs) underdogs this upcoming week. If you are 
a legitimate top 20 team. You're not a 21 and a half point underdog to anybody in college football. It's a great story. Everybody got behind it. I love to see that. I still think they're going to have some success, but the expectations when you take a one win program from last year and expect them to turn around and win 10 games in a season just isn't realistic. I don't care how many players come through the transfer portal, et cetera, because it's also Colorado. If Alabama, but it would never happen that they only win one game under Nick Saban, you know, if Alabama and that whole Alabama, you know, persona that they have as one of the greatest college programs, Colorado doesn't fall into that. So it's not like Colorado's the big draw. So give credit where it's due. Deion Sanders has done a wonderful job. He's turned the program around. He's made them relevant. They're selling out merchandise. People are talking about them. Everything that Dion has done has been really positive for the program. But to believe they have the offensive and defensive lines to be a top program in college football this year is unrealistic they still have you agree enough of the enough of the hype and enough of the star power that uh the the friday the saturday game rather which will be on at noon eastern nine pacific is still going to be a big draw it's still going to be a big draw if they get blown out again by usc i I think the fanfare is pretty much going to go away for the most part i'm hoping they keep it close i don't expect them to win here but you know if they can keep it so we're in the fourth quarter they still have a chance to win there is that excitement. That's what I'm rooting for because I am hoping that Colorado has success and they don't fall off the map immediately after this loss. So I would like to see them stay relevant because what I Dion's doing, I think, is amazing. And, and I'd like to see everybody continue to back the program and be a part of that. Uh, but it's not going to be at the same level it was prior to their loss to Oregon. I know it was five days ago, but they were still yesterday talking about this weird Notre Dame finish on Saturday where uh, Coach Marcus uh, Freeman took ownership of having only 10 defenders on the field for the final two plays Mm -hmm. of Saturday's loss to Ohio State. And Notre Dame had used their final timeout with only seven seconds remaining And on the play, Freeman said nobody noticed there were only 10 defenders for the incomplete pass, which was on second and goal from the one. And by the time the staff noticed it right before Ohio State's final game-winning play, it was too late. He's addressed it. He's taken ownership. He says that that I think he said yesterday they're going to call a timeout if they do notice. This is a weird story to me, Steve, that it happened on two plays. Can you explain this better to me? Uh, The part that I can say is this is breakdown on so many different levels. As a player, you're standing there and you practice with these guys. You're you line up on defense. You run your different defensive formations. How does the guy not go? Hey, isn't there supposed to be somebody to the right of me or to the left of me? How does the defensive coordinator not notice it? How does the defensive line coach not notice it? How does the head coach not notice it? How does no coach sitting up in the booth because they're up there in the booth watching it and they not notice the fact that it was a breakdown on so many different levels to me is amazing. I I mean, how did not one person catch it? Were they so caught up in it as we were as fans watching the end of this game? I mean, it was a great finish to the game. We're all at the edge of our seats. Here we go. Let's see who wins. (laughs) 
obviously the coaches and everyone was doing the same thing because they weren't doing their jobs. Cause if they're doing their jobs, someone somewhere would have noticed, especially twice. I know it was very quick, but wow, that was, that was just, that was a very, and, and you're right. I didn't notice until afterwards. And I guess in real time on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it, there were some, there were some fans who were able to get out their, their messages right as the play happened. Um, but it wasn't until after I went, Oh yeah. And I think the, the announcers or somebody noticed it first and I went, no, that I, I didn't believe it. I said, there's no way they only had 10 on both of the last two plays. Um, so, uh, we're four weeks in for, for Heisman. You had said from our first, uh, our first mixed picks podcast, you liked four or five of them. Uh, and, uh, uh, Caleb Williams still seems to be the name that's getting the most attention, but boy, a lot of people are looking at Bo Nix from Oregon. Uh, Quinn Ewers from Texas, who you've always liked. Shadir Sanders in, from Colorado, is he still in the first-round draft pick conversation with everything going on? And, and is there anyone breaking out for you that's different or new? I, I think the person who might be sneaking up this Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback at Washington. This guy's putting up video game numbers. <laughs> I, I mean, his season so far has been unbelievable. He is climbing up in that Heisman Trophy talk because of his numbers and, and Washington's a pretty good team. So I believe there's going to be four, possibly five first round picks. You know, and you mentioned them, Caleb Williams, Drake may at North Carolina, excellent quarterback, Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix, Jr. Shadur Sanders. It is a quarterback talented draft. And you mentioned Bo Nix, who's probably going to go in the second round. There's a lot of quality quarterbacks so if you're a bad team and you're looking at it, you got to like where you're sitting there because you should be able to get someone to look for being your franchise quarterback going forward. And uh, as we'll talk about as we go through our NFL roundup, there are uh, at least a handful of really bad teams who should be paying really close attention. Um, in, in college this weekend, Steve, is is LSU Ole Miss, is that is that the big one for you, 13 and 20? There's a couple other ranked uh Matchups. I don't know how seriously we're taking Notre Dame and Duke as fun a season or as fun a story as Duke is right now. But is it what's what stands out to you on Saturday? I, I like the LSU Mississippi. You know Texas A and M Arkansas. That game is being played in a neutral site in Texas. Will be an interesting game. But there's not a lot of huge games on the slate. Alabama Mississippi State 14 and a half point favorite. But I'm still not sold that Alabama's offense is that great. It is a lot of points here. They've had questions at quarterback. But I think you got to look at that LSU-Mississippi game as the best game on the slate this weekend for college football. All right, let's get to the NFL. Boy, there was a lot to talk about uh, this weekend, all the way down to uh, Monday night when uh, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow said that the risk of going 0-3 outweighed the risk of further injury. Most people didn't expect Burrow to play. It was eight days after he aggravated a strained right calf. He played every offensive snap, helped the Bengals to win uh, their first game of the season against the Rams. The big chatter now is, was it worth it? Or should they have, have forced Burrow to sit down? He's their franchise guy. They've given him a truckload of money. Let him recover. Uh, can the Bengals even still come back from one and two? Uh, and and, and what? It, wouldn't they need a fully healthy Burrows to, to Burrow to do so? Did you did this make sense to you, Steve? I understood it because at 0 and 3, their season's pretty much over. And well, you got plenty of time to rest them at that point. This is one of those look, we need to come out. We need to get a win here. 
you have to believe that the team doctors and all of that have said, look, it's not going to be a long-term injury as far as a career threatening, or it's going to do anything to hinder your career there. I think we watched, he can't push the ball upfield. Mm-hmm. We watched so many passes of 10 yards and less because that's really all he can do. He doesn't have his mobility. So if you're the defense, you're just going to pin your ears back and just go at him and know he's going to be in the pocket to go get him. So I don't think that's necessarily best for Burrow, but you have to love the competitiveness. Look, if I can't get worse and it's not current threatening, I need to do everything I can to help this team win. And when they feel they fell out of playoff contention, He's going to go sit. He's going to go get better. And then by next year, he should be fully recovered and ready to go. So as long as it's not causing any long-term effects, I like the fact that he's going out there and showing, look, I know I'm making a lot of money. I could sit, but I want to help my team win. I want to prove that I deserve the contract. And they are a much better team when he's quarterbacking. It's just to me watching the game, they got the win but there's no way they're going to be successful and one of the best teams in the AFC with this version of Joe Burrow because he can't move and he can't throw the ball deep. Right. That, that was the thing is watching him, if you if you paid attention to who Joe Burrow is, he wasn't the same guy. And, and, and watching the game, a lot of the time I was thinking, do they even need Burrow to win this game? I mean, the Rams aren't anything to write home about. And and that's my that was exactly my thought moving forward was, I don't know. I, I didn't double check their schedule. I was looking at so much getting ready for today. It, it, it may. I don't know exactly who the Bengals have to face, but if 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 the if they get to that point where they are like eh, three and seven or three and six, even with Burrow, I mean, at that point, if he looks like this Burrow, they, maybe they don't even wait that long. You got to sit him, right? You, you got to say that's it. That's it for the season. Yeah, and now in the Bengals' defense, they play at Tennessee in Week Four. Mm-hmm. At Arizona week five, oh. at home against Seattle in week six, and then they have a bye in week seven. Okay. So if they can look at it and limp through that, he gets that two weeks off. But coming out of that bye, oh, no. you're into at San Francisco, at home against Buffalo, at home against Houston, but then you're at Baltimore on a short week and then versus Pittsburgh. We're going to know because if he comes out of that bye week, they're not in contention. Let's say they go, you know, one and two in their next three games, they're going to shut them down and they're not going to go. But if they can go three and oh, now it's at, hey, look, maybe we can get them healthy enough to go into that stretch with the Niners, the Bills, and the Ravens and the Steelers. You know, if we can go two and two through that, we're still in the playoff hunt. Maybe we can salvage the season. And again, I have to believe the team front office and the doctors are determining that this is an injury that, yes, while it can get worse, it's not career threatening. Though getting worse only shuts them down, you know, and that's where they'd be going anyway. If they shut them down now and they go 0 and 3, their season's over, and they might as well sit in the whole rest of the season, and we don't want to see that. You can uh, email us in real time or, or anytime. You can do like uh, Adam did. He wrote uh, in the middle of Sunday. Uh, you can email us at uh, rad at radradio.com. He had, now, he had an interesting take on the day, which I didn't really – I didn't feel this way in real time, but I know you and I are such football heads, so uh, he, he, here's how he was looking at it. He says, Rob, I'd like you and uh, your and Steve's opinion – on what the hell the NFL is doing. I'm writing Sunday afternoon, and this is quite, quite possibly the worst slate of games that we have to watch. And I have the Sunday ticket package. The only reason I'm watching any of these games is because I have a foreplay on the Panthers' money line. It seems like having double header games on Monday 
has diminished the quality of games on Sunday afternoon. Are the Monday ratings that much better for the NFL than uh, the Sunday uh, games? No, no, and those are over. The doubleheader Monday games, that, that, was a, that was a gimmicky goof thing they did this year. Um, the Sunday games are still bigger than Monday night, especially because the Monday night flat platform is ESPN. Sunday night is is usually the marquee game, especially as we get later in the season when they can flex games. This past weekend, uh, the uh, the Chiefs-Bears game was the most watched, which part of that's the Taylor Swift effect that we do not need to discuss on a sports podcast. Um, but but were you thinking throughout the day, Steve, God, these games suck? And not maybe Adam's just... Maybe I'm over cynicizing him, but I, I wasn't having that impression. No, the the slate was weak. I mean, when I'm okay. sitting there at 10 o'clock going, okay, what's going to be our volume game? The Chargers Vikings, both teams are 0-2. <laughs> yeah, yeah gr- a competitive game, but to the casual fan, you're looking at it going, you know, neither one of these teams are in contention. Neither one has won a game. So the slate was very weak. I'm not a big fan of the two games on the Monday night. No, at all. If no. you were going to do it to me, you got to do an East Coast Monday night game for East Coast. You got to do a West Coast. So you're going to do a game at like four o'clock and maybe you start it up at like 630, something to that extent. But we all know the NFL is all about the money. That's all it is. The more games we can get in prime time, the higher we can charge for commercials, et cetera, et cetera. It's about the money. It's not about the competitiveness. And from the NFL standpoint, you know, they've all been about parity in the first place. So they don't want the big dominating teams like we used to have in the 70s and the 80s with the Steelers, the Raiders, you know, the Cowboys, the 49ers in the 80s and 90s. They like that parity. So that's why we're also going to see the Texans play on national TV and pretty much all of the different teams so they can showcase the entire league. And, but it's all about the money. I mean, it, it wasn't. I guess the way now that now that you talked it through, I guess the thing that got me with Adam's email was it's not like the fact that the schedule was weak was the quote unquote NFL's fault. Um, it, it, it they don't want a weak Sunday, and, and and the Vikings and the Chargers were two of the teams that when they were making the schedule back in the the the, mm-hmm. the, the winter or spring, there was every reason to believe they could have easily both been undefeated. And, and it's still, when you're that early in the season, it's still compelling to see those two teams for at least people in Minnesota and L.A. slash San Diego go, well, which one of us is still going to stay in it? So I didn't, I didn't, it's not like a lot of times we do that. Wow, well, what the hell's wrong with the NFL? Well, when you get into the flex time, yeah, the NFL has a lot more control and they can change out their games. But it wasn't like they sat down and said, let's make week four or three, wherever the hell we are, three the weakest week of, of the season. That's not what they're trying to do. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You don't know going into the season. There's the expectation. We're going to see the Jets more on prime time. We're all <laughs> going to sit there and say, oh, the Jets are awful. But understand that we thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be there and we're going to be one of the top teams. So the Vikings going into it, you know, last year they won, what, 13 games, I think it was, 12 or 13 games. You were expecting the Vikings to not be sitting at 0-3 right now or 0-2 going into that game. Chargers had high expectations for the season as well. So you can't blame the NFL for it. The thing that I was thankful for is we had a great Saturday with college football. (laughs) So you got your fill on the college Saturday, and okay, Sunday wasn't as good. But there was still good games to watch and competitive games down to the end. And, And as a football fan, yeah, I think you got to sit there and look at it and say, look, the, the Panthers Seahawks 
may not be a great game on paper, but it might turn out to be a game that goes to overtime or something like that. And you got to sit back and just enjoy it. I think the Jets, who are this uh, Sunday night's game uh, of the week uh, in New York hosting Taylor Swift's Chiefs, uh, are, uh, are, are scheduled for five primetime appearances uh, throughout the whole season. And I don't know if any of them fall in the flex area, but that was the example when Aaron Rodgers went down. Everyone was like, oh, the NFL's got to be thrilled about, about this. Because, of course, when you're making the schedule, you're absolutely right. You're like, put Aaron Rodgers in New York on every primetime game we can that we can get away with. Right, and think about it. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't go down, and let's say the Jets are sitting at 3-0 and right now, Ooh, we'd all be talking about, are the Jets the new top team in the AFC? We wouldn't be talking about the Dolphins quite to the extent that we are, although we'd be looking forward to that matchup. But, you know, are the Chiefs really the top team? The Jets can take them, the Dolphins. And so the whole attitude going into this game would be different. Unfortunately, Zach Wilson's a quarterback for the Jets, and they're going nowhere. Uh, We're going to get to Zach Wilson, the Jets, and where they're headed. Uh, But uh, Junior has an email that I need to set up first uh, with uh, the Raiders from this weekend. Trailing by eight points. That that would be the train wreck Raiders, according to Steve. Mm. Uh, Trailing by eight points and facing fourth and four at the Steelers' eight-yard line. Another Sunday night matchup that wasn't really meant to be, uh, as it turned out. They had 225 to play. And Las Vegas Raiders coach Josh McDaniel sent out the field goal team. Kicker Daniel Carlson converted the 48-yarder, but it was negated by a Steelers penalty, so now the Raiders are even closer to the end zone. McDaniel said after the game, you have two choices there. You try to make it a five-point game, remember they're down by eight, with a field goal, where you have an opportunity to win it with the touchdown, or you get the ball back, or you go for it from there, which would then put them two points behind. You hope to get a two-point conversion, and now you get a tie game. This is a, this McDaniel's laying it out after the game. And he said that he had three timeouts and the two-minute warning, and he had faith in his defense that they could get the ball back. So they kicked the field goal. They're down by five. The Steelers get it at their own 25-yard line, and by the time the Vegas defense gets it back, there's 12 seconds left on the clock, and ultimately Jimmy Garoppolo throws the game-ending interception, his third of the game. Junior woke up Monday morning irritated enough at all that and made it short and sweet. Rob, will you please ask Steve, what's it going to take for the Raiders to fire Josh McDaniels? What are Steve's thoughts on McDaniels' ability to be a real head coach in the NFL? I haven't had high expectations for Josh McDaniel to be a good head coach in the NFL. We watch what he did with Denver. He's to me as one of those, he's a great offensive coordinator. Allow him to just focus on that. I don't think he handles the locker room very well. I don't think he's a great head coach. And to me, the Raiders should not have hired him in the first place. I don't make those decisions, Uh, but I would like to believe the Raiders are going to move on from him fairly soon because again i think he is a quality offensive coordinator like norv turner kept getting head coaching jobs i thought norv turner was a really good offensive coordinator but a bad head coach josh mcdaniels to me falls into that and i know you know if i'm josh mcdaniels i can prove i'm good enough to coach in the nfl i think at a certain point you just gotta say look i'm very good at what i do you know stay in my lane Let's do that. I can make a good living. I've given it a shot now a couple of times and just be an offensive coordinator because I think he is what has led to this train wreck of a team. I don't think the players respect him. I think there's a lot of issues going on in that locker room. And when you lose the players on your team, they're never going to perform at a high level for you. And it's just a matter of time when the 
until the team needs to move on. Even with the, the train wreck moniker that you gave the Raiders from the beginning, you did constantly point out that Jimmy G wins games as long as he stays healthy. And then we got the news that was a little surprising to a lot of people on Monday because he never never left the game, even though he took a ton of hits in Sunday night's game. And, oh, hey, now he's in concussion protocol. Uh, and uh, if he can't play, the Raiders will uh, have to start either 15th-year veteran Brian Hoyer or household name rookie Aiden O'Connell. Uh, that would really be – I know you don't give the Raiders much of anything for the season. That would be the end of their season. I mean, not just one game, but Garoppolo's got to come out of concussion protocol if they have any prayers moving forward. I, I think he does. Jimmy G is – I think is a pretty good quarterback in the NFL. He's not an elite quarterback but he does find ways to win. The team always seems to rally around him. So the players really like playing with him. I'm curious to see Aiden O'Connell play. If, if he gets a shot, he had moments in preseason. He looked really good. Brian Hoyler. We've been there. We've done this. He's who the Raiders would turn to just because he comes out of Josh McDaniels and new England and everything off that. So he knows the system, but Brian Hoyer's not any good. If, if you're really at that point, just moving on. Look, let's go see what this kid can do and find out because we're not going to compete. Worst case scenario, he's not good. We know he's not our quarterback. We don't win a whole lot of games. We get a much better draft pick, and we go get one of these four quarterbacks that are there. Because, And it's just a shame because I like Jimmy G. I just wish he could stay healthy. It, it's just one of those things like, look, Josh McDaniel's not a head coach. Hey, you know, you, you just – Jimmy G is going to be a good backup quarterback because he oh. can't stay healthy to start 16 games. Uh, by the way, Adam wrote back in in real time, uh, RAD at radradio.com. He says, Rob, I saw Steve smirk at my four-unit play on Panthers' money line as referenced in my email. I got even with Pittsburgh money line against the Raiders, and the Saints crushed me with Derek Carr going down up 17-0. to zero. Did you smirk at his pick, Steve? I, I was smirking in the sense that I liked it. The Panthers, I believe, were the play this last weekend. They just fell apart in that second half and just couldn't. I, I was hoping for them. They just, they just couldn't get the job done. I believe they lost, what, 37-27, lost by 10. And, you know, Andy Dalton threw 54, 58 passes. You knew that was going to be the case because they don't have a running game. But I thought Dalton played pretty good. So I thought they were going to be a better team, which is where I like the Panthers in that spot than what people were expecting because Dalton's an experienced backup. He has won in this league before. And Bryce Young still being that rookie, even though he is questionable and it looks like it's leaning towards he's going to play this week. But I think the right now the Panthers' offense is a better offense with Dalton at quarterback than Bryce Young. You mentioned, you mentioned the battle of the Ophers. Uh, the Chargers won it uh, 28-24 over the uh, now still winless Minnesota Vikings. But along the way, receiver Mike Will Will Williams, Jesus, it's my last name and I can't say it, suffered a season-ending ACL tear. So the Chargers, they're one and two. I, I it. it uh, Williams really makes it hard without him, but it was going to be hard anyways. And look, this matters to Mike Williams, but does it really matter to the outcome of the Chargers season? I think it is a factor. They need to play flawless on offense in order to win games because their defense so far has been so bad. And I thought the Chargers offense really played flawless last week and they barely win against the Vikings. So that gives you the idea that they don't have a whole lot of room for error. 
taking Mike Williams out of that offense is really a setback to Justin Herbert and their ability to score. But really, it's going to come down to defense, as we see all the time. Defense wins games, especially in the playoffs. And this defense has been terrible so far. I think they're second to last in yards allowed per play uh, by their defense in the league, which, you know, if you're giving up over six yards per play to your opponents, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. So the way that game ended, Steve, was so weird. The The Vikings, they, they get a first down on the Chargers six. They've got 35 seconds on the clock, no timeouts. Smart money is you spike the ball and you stop the clock and get it. Make sure you got your packages in because you're not you're at first and goal. Um, but instead of spiking the ball, they tried to line up. They were quick snapping, maybe hoping to score the winning touchdown before the Chargers are fully set. We find out after the game. I mean, you could tell what was going on as you were watching it, but it was confirmed. Kirk Cousins couldn't hear head coach Kevin O'Connell's play call and for 23 seconds nothing happened now after the game Kirk Cousins says he made the call and it was the same call that coach O'Connell was going to to send in it resulted in a tip pass and and an interception you can't let 23 seconds run off the clock when you're first in goal and you're down by four that is I mean I don't know do we call that I know we like to rag on Kirk Cousins that seems amateur hour on some level to me but maybe I'm being too judgy. I think there's a whole lot more in that end of the game than than just this part but to touch base on this part because Brandon Staley's decision to go for it like you know fourth down from his own 24 up by four points is totally insane. And to me, should have lost his job like immediately. Shouldn't even have been allowed on the team playing. They should have fired him in the locker room, moved on, and that was it. Not even on the tarmac like Lane Kiffin. But in that situation, okay, I can't hear the play. We don't know what it is. It's first down. Just line up, spike the ball. Okay, let's just slow things down a little bit. Okay, we reset the play clock. Let's try to figure things out. And then you got to get into questioning the Viking fans. I, I I get the make the noise so the defense can't hear, but make so much noise that we can't run our offensive play because we can't hear. Isn't there a little bit of blame? To, and it's not an excuse, but the fans don't even know that they need to quiet down. You're watching this chaos hit. Hey, look, let's get quiet. Let's allow them to hear what's going on so we can run a play that might be successful and we can win the game. But they didn't even go there. They were caught up in the game just like Notre Dame's coaches watching it, cheering, and totally forgot, hey, look, we might need to look at how many players are on the field or we need to quiet down in order to let the offense call a play that might be successful so we can win and then go crazy. It just was a breakdown again in so many different levels. And and you and I were texting, Kirk Cousins, here it is, your shot to shine. And there's the interception. I know it was a, you know, a tip pass, et cetera, but here it is, Kirk Cousins, Way to come through in the big moment. And he's a veteran quarterback. He's got to just line up, spike the ball, stop it, slow things down. But he got caught up in it. And again, to where I believe the game speeds up in pressure situations for him, he wasn't enough of a veteran to know, look, spike it, slow it down. He let it happen too. He let all the time roll off because he didn't know what to do. You've been in the league like 
nine years how can you not know what to do yeah no that was that that's exactly right and and the yes the crowd noise especially because the chargers aren't the Steelers. they don't their fan base doesn't travel well it's not like it was all charger fans so it is kind of like it's all keystone cop stuff uh at at the end of that but there's there's been a uh there's been a conspiracy theory around the the rad radio uh rooms for for decades now that people in the big media markets they listen to what we do and then they just they copy us and there's a couple things that developed uh, vis-a-vis Kirk Cousins and something you've been talking about since almost I think before the season uh Hall of Famer Joe Namath came out and just destroyed New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson uh in an interview on Monday saying uh, talking about the 15 to 10 loss to the Patriots that he didn't take anything positive out of it it was awful it was disgusting and said he would trade Zach Wilson immediately saying, I wouldn't keep him. I've seen enough of Zach Wilson. Columnist Nate Davis wrote that the 2023 New York Jets need to do one thing right away, trade for quarterback Kirk Cousins, which is exactly what you've been suspecting maybe will happen. And now what he proposed was spend next year's second rounder uh, or send send uh, the two third-round picks. The Jets spent uh, next year's second rounder on Aaron Rodgers. And so send the two third-round picks to the Vikings for Kirk Cousins, who's scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the season. The Vikings are 0-3. Cousins can't be franchised. And maybe the Vikings go, well, we want in on that 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 great quarterback class. There's four or five, according to Steve, and we're done with Kirk Cousins anyway. So the, the chatter is really picking up at this point. Why not? Why not trade for Kirk Cousins? Other than the because fact that he's season- Kirk Cousins. <laughs> right. Your, your season might be moving towards being over in the first place. And then you're giving up a couple of third round draft picks by the time you get them and you bring them up to speed. You know, if you traded for him Monday of this next week, is he really going to be able to play the following Monday and be effective? So at that point, you got to be wondering, you know, I'm giving up some draft prospects in the future for what our season might be over. But the other side of this is, if they don't make this move and make it fast because time is running out, their season's over. I, I mean, it may already be over. If you seriously believe that you are a playoff contending team that has aspirations for the Super Bowl, to me, I think the Jets have to explore every single opportunity to put them in a position to win because. One team wins every year. Your window's really kind of small. And I know you have Aaron Rodgers coming back, so they hope. But what if Rodgers doesn't come back? They've built everything for the season, high expectations. And these are the tough decisions a GM has to make is, do I go all in and I mortgage what possibly could be my future to try to salvage a season here? Or do I just get beat up by the press because I let it go and say, look, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, but I'm not mortgaging the future that's why they get paid the big bucks, and that's why I couldn't be a GM in this league. <laughs> well, and the, and the thing is, they, they're not – they got to play – come on. The, the Jets are going to be 0-4 after this weekend. They, they got to play the Chiefs. If, if we're being realistic – 1-3. and 1-3. Sorry, they're going to be 1-3. Um, in two weeks after that, they play the Eagles. They still got to play Buffalo and Miami. Um, it's so, so, okay, from the Jets' standpoint, I get it. From the Vikings' standpoint, should they be looking to offload Kirk Cousins for all the same reasons in reverse? 
At this point, if I'm the Vikings, I'm moving Kirk Cousins for my best offer. And if it turns out to be a fifth-round draft pick, <laughs> I am moving on because I think their season is over. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So why not get some draft capital out of it, move them on? I believe they've already made the decision they are not resigning. So, so that's not even an option here. If you felt you had the, the ability to sign him and he was still going to be your quarterback next season, then I could see holding on to him. But if you already know we're moving on, he's not going to be here. We're not making the playoffs. There's zero reason to hold on to him. I'm moving Kirk Cousins today because I would not be re-signing him. And by moving him, we're playing the backup. Maybe the backup proves he can play like a Brock Purdy and suddenly, hey, where we thought we had a deficiency at quarterback, we find out this guy's actually really good. And you give him that time to prove that he could be a quality quarterback in the NFL. And if he comes in and he can't do it, you're getting a bunch of losses. Your draft pick becomes that much better in the draft. You know, he's not your quarterback. You're able to go get a, a may or you're not going to get to Caleb Williams, but who knows if they don't want a game, they could go get Caleb Williams and then you solve it from there. So to me, the Vikings, it makes all the sense to just move on from Kirk cousins, accept it because you get draft capital you get a better draft pick or you find out your backup's actually pretty good. It's all positives. Uh, in New Orleans, uh, quarterback Derek Carr sprained his right AC joint. He's considered week to week. Uh, Jameis Winston took over in Carr's uh, absence. Uh, the Saints have not been, when they have won, they haven't been winning on offense, right, Steve? I mean, how, how much does this matter? It does matter. Their defense is really good. They haven't given up a whole lot of points. I, you know, they seem to give up 17 or fewer for like the last year and a half. Uh, really good defense. No offensive line. They, they can't stop anybody with the pass rush. That's why Derek Carr has just been under fire. That's why he's hurt right now. Jameis Winston used to have some wheels on him, could move around in the pocket. I don't think he has that. It's a shame because I do believe the Saints are the best team in that division. And if they just don't have an offensive line it's tough to compete to where now the falcons look like they're probably the best team in that division but they need Derek carr if they're going to have any success so he needs to get back in there but they have to find a way to block or start rolling them out and go with short you know quick release passes you know run a lot more slants various things like that because they have to protect them you can't do the seven eight step drop backs leave him in the pocket and try to air it out because he just doesn't have the time. And they have really good wide receivers. Michael Thomas, you know, Chris Olave, really talented receivers. They brought back Jimmy Graham as a backup tight end. So they have some weapons. But if you can't block, we see it all the time in the NFL. If you can't block your opponents, you're not going to have success. So this, when you get into this early part of the season, uh, you get you get the, uh, the injuries, to, especially to quarterbacks and other players. And you also then you start to hear the chatter. With, with any quarterbacks that are questionable or if they've got rookies that are sitting behind them, the Titans went out and laid an absolute egg to the Browns, 27-3. to Ryan Tannehill went 13 for 25 and 104 yards, and a lot of the Tennessee press is already saying, just make Will Levis the starter. Do you think we're headed in that direction soon? I think we we are. Tannehill's been on his way out of Tennessee for like three years, but Mike Vrabel's a very good head coach. He's found ways to win for this team, but Tannehill's on his last legs. He, he just, 
the Titans aren't that good of a football team. Their defense can create turnovers, which they need in order to keep them in games. Derrick Henry's not the running back he's been in the prior years. You have to look at a quarterback change there. And I believe it's going to happen here sooner than later because Tannehill and give the guy credit. He was a wide receiver for the start of his career in college football. So it wasn't like, Hey, he was a highly touted quarterback. They converted him into a quarterback. It's worked for him. He's had a decent career. I think he's done the best he can with his talent. I just don't think Tanny Hill's the answer and accept it and move forward. Another email that came in Sunday in the middle of the games, uh, RAD at radradio.com from Logan, as we kind of stay focused on uh, the the disappointing teams, the, the train wreck teams, whatever we're going to call them. He says, I'm sitting here and I'm watching the Bears and the Chiefs game, and I can't help but to think that Justin Fields is done in Chicago. He is complete dog crap. If you're the Bears, do you tank for Caleb Williams? I mean, try something else. Obviously, Justin Fields is not working. I'm not even a Bear fan. This is painful to watch. A lot of people I saw over the next couple days after Sunday, Steve, are saying, it's time to Trey Lance, Justin Fields. It's time for the Bears to cut their losses, do what the Niners did. I mean, the Bears were never going to beat the Chiefs. We know that. They went down 41-10. to They are 0-3. They have the 13-game losing streak, the longest active in the NFL. Uh, I even saw some Bear fans of prominence who have said, like, burn it all down. Uh, how bad is it in Chicago? <laughs> it, it's pretty bad. This Bears front office and head coaching is not tied to Justin Fields. They didn't draft him. They didn't bring him in. One of the things we're seeing with the Bears this year is part of what makes Justin Fields so good is his ability to run along with pass. The Bears offensive scheme this year is to try to keep him in the pocket more and allow him to be more of a quarterback as opposed to the runner. He is still running because he's running for his life, but it's no longer the design running plays that we would see in the past in order to keep the defenses honest and then open things up for the passing game. The, the scheme for Justin Fields that we're watching just doesn't fit him. They're trying to make him a pass first quarterback. They're not running him except for when he's running for his life. I feel bad for him because I think he has a lot of talent. He just doesn't fit. So are you going to stay with the current management and keep this offensive scheme? If that's the case, Justin Fields doesn't fit and you need to move him on. And this is where you hear for years, we talk about the right quarterback in the right situation and the right offensive scheme. And Justin Fields currently does not fit the Bears offensive scheme and if you want to keep justin fields you need to go find a head coach that has the offensive philosophy to use what justin fields does best that's not happening in chicago he's taking the blame because of all the losses but really it's that front office and the head coach they have to decide which way to use them because the way they're using them now is never going to be successful and he's going to be look really bad and it's going to continue and then they're going to cut his losses. And at that point, does Justin Field have any value to anyone? Because at that point, they're just going to view him as a quarterback who loses. He can't throw. He's not as good running. And it's a shame for Justin Fields' career. 
with where it's going in Chicago. Well, and you you focus a lot on the locker rooms, and there there has certainly been you could tell there's some tension in Chicago. Justin Fields had some post game comments where he basically said the true part out loud. Uh, where he he alluded to the offensive schemes and the coaching, and then he had to walk it back the next day. And then when we add in everything that you're talking about, there's clearly they're not on the same page, mm-hmm. and something's got to give. And and usually, unless you're an A-list quarterback, it's the quarterback that gives. In other words, you get paid, or I'm sorry, you get traded, or you wind up uh, in uh, in purgatory, which is what you're describing as well. Yeah, and, and he's too good of a quarterback, I think, th- to just end up in the scheme that just makes them look awful. So I would like to see him out of Chicago if this is where the Bears are going to go. But to me, I wouldn't have brought in their head coach. I, I don't think he's very good. I would have gone out and found a head coach that fit Justin Fields. And one of the things that Andy Reid does so well, they don't talk about. Andy Reid is one of the greatest head coaches in the NFL history. He designs his team and molds to what his talent says He doesn't come in and say, this is the way we're doing it. And I'm going to force everyone to accept my style. And this is what it is. And if it doesn't work, it's your fault. Adjust to the players strengths. That's what all good bosses do. You use their strengths. You limit their weaknesses. You set them up for success. And the bears just aren't doing it. In fact, you know, they've talked pretty openly over the last couple of seasons that Andy Reid actually literally has many of his offensive players design the plays, write up the plays, call them, or come to him and go, we don't like this, but we like this. And he goes, okay, if that's what you're comfortable and confident with, run that. Well, it's no coincidence they've got two of the last three Super Bowl championships with that kind of mindset, uh, with that much talent. Okay, so some surprises over the weekend for some of us. Uh, Houston Texans rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud made history During Sunday's 37-17 upset of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he went 20 for 30 for 280 yards, two touchdowns. That makes him the first quarterback in NFL history to have at least 900 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, and no interceptions in his first three career starts. Tight end Brevin Jordan, just one of many Texans, who very publicly came out and said, we love C.J. Stroud, saying, quote, we drafted the right guy, he's a leader, he's a phenomenal player, and a phenomenal guy. He's unbelievable. End quote. Not a lot of people give a, the Texans a lot of confidence, a lot of credit, because they've been so bad for so long. It's early to anoint C.J. Stroud, the next Tom Brady, but did they draft the right guy? I think right now you have to say yes. He's not making mistakes. I, I kind of look at him like Brock Purdy. If you can come out, you know the offense, and you can manage it and put your team in a position to be successful, which means on certain critical plays, you make the right throw. You don't turn the ball over. You don't throw interceptions in the red zone. These are all great attributes that Brock Purdy has. He's not the most talented quarterback on the field, usually in most every game he plays, but C.J. Stroud has that same thing. He is a talented quarterback, but he's not making the mistakes. He's a rookie. He's three games into it. To have no interceptions means he's understanding the concept of what the defenses are doing. He's able to move the ball around, be successful. The Texans just don't have the talent. So as long as they can keep him healthy and have some good drafts coming up in the future, because free agents will be interested in going to that team once they see they have a quality quarterback and they have a shot to win, 
but his wide receivers aren't even the most talented in the league. So they got to upgrade the wide receivers for him, which will allow him to stretch the field more. But everything he is doing to this point is dead on. And he's been very impressive. And traditionally what you're describing is how you build an NFL winning franchise. So the, you, I mean, he's his first year guy. So if the Texans can get their crap together as an organization, you get to then go to the draft, do whatever you have to do to surround him with the talent to where they become a, quote, real team next year. Absolutely. The Texans are doing it right, and C.J. Stroud is setting them up for success in the future. And it's going to be fun to watch this team develop from nothing and move them into, hopefully, a quality team. And, and oh, remind me, who who's the coach of the Texans? Um D'Amico Ryans, yes, former Could, Niner. He have had some success in the past as a defensive coordinator. Hello. Hello. And, and he was a great linebacker with the Texans for many years. I mean, he was an all-pro linebacker. He knows the city. He knows the culture. He knows the organization. What a great hire by the Texans. Uh, by the way, this is nice. Ray just emailed in uh, radio.com. He says, first time tuning into this segment. And I got to say, this is way better than anything I've seen on ESPN all week. Well, thank you, Ray. We appreciate that. Um, I don't have to say much here, Steve. The Arizona Cardinals, they beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-16. to 16. Take your pick. Where do you start with this mess? Uh Kind of which side do you want to go to? We can go to the Cowboys side, who a week ago they were anointing them, the best team in the NFL. This team is going to win the Super Bowl. We watched this lose to what a lot of people feel was the worst team in the NFL. We were even talking about how the Cardinals were tanking it. The first two weeks, they come out great the first half. At halftime, they say, oops, we're not supposed to be winning. We need to slow this offense down, make some mistakes. And they didn't. They just kept going. Like the Cardinals dominated that game. I mean, James Conner looked great at running back. He ran for 98 yards, 14 carries. Joshua Dobbs, I think, only had four incomplete passes in the entire game. Dobbs has been a career backup quarterback, and he looked like an elite quarterback. The Cowboys were a mess. I think they overlooked in every way the Cardinals here kept thinking they could come back and win. And the thing that's the most amazing is Arizona wins 28-16. I think the Cowboys only had one turnover. So it wasn't one of those games, oh, we had four turnovers that led to 21 points, you know, which helped, you know, destroy our team. The Cowboys just couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it done offensively. They couldn't stop them at all defensively. And uh, it was a great game plan by the Cardinals. And they didn't ease up. They went after them the whole way through the game. So let's look at both teams through the Niners prism because it's relevant over the next few weeks. The Niners have the Cardinals this weekend. Are the Niners in danger of looking past the Cardinals because they got the Cowboys next week? Or is this a fluke? Is this like a, okay, the the, the Cardinals aren't that good or or and the Cowboys maybe aren't that good? Or where do you fall on the Niners and, and their relationship to the Cardinals this weekend? Uh, I view this as a positive for the 49ers because I could easily have seen the 49ers do what the Cowboys did last week. Hey, look, Arizona's tanking it. We're going to do half of our prep for the Cardinals, but we're really looking at Dallas because in the big picture, if that was the case, Dallas had a huge win against the Cardinals this last Sunday and the Cowboys, this is the game of the year. 
This is where we find out how good we are. And they would have been gaming planning for that. And I could easily have seen the 49ers overlooking the Cardinals. Seeing what the Cardinals did to the Cowboys, I don't see the 49ers taking them lightly. I think the Niners are going to try to set a statement here. They are a 14-point favorite. And normally, I have to throw the 14 points out. Look, you can't go there. And I always will throw them out because they have the huge game the following week. And it's that, you know, overlooking this team for the opponents. I just, I don't think the Cardinals can play that game. I think that Niners have a much better defense and I don't believe the 49ers are going to overlook the Cardinals this week, like the Cowboys did. So I feel sorry for the Cardinals. If they come out and play great and they boom, they're up 10 points in the you know first quarter and a half on this Niners defense. This team is actually a lot better than I gave them credit for. I just don't see the Cardinals scoring more than seven in the game. I, I think the 49ers win this game like 38-7. So if, I don't even think it's going to be close. If that happens, the Niners will be 4-0. And the following Sunday, they've got the primetime Sunday night game against their rival Dallas Cowboys, who they have kicked out of the NFC Championship the last two weeks. So let's stay with the, the Cardinals-Cowboys first. Through that prism, the Car- the Cowboys have the Patriots this week. They're in Dallas. Um, was this a wake-up call for the Cowboys? And they're there because you're right; they were like top three power rankings. Some people have kicked them out of the top ten uh, after this game. Are they are they that in much in a free fall, or is this just the game, the Cardinal game? Woke them up, and this will still be a big game. Niners Cowboys in two weeks. This was a wake-up call to the Cowboys. I think they got caught up in their press releases with, "Oh, they could be the best team." <laughs> you see that with teams. Every team needs to get a loss because you don't want the pressure at the end of the season for the undefeated teams. I I think it sets up. I think this week's game right now, the Cowboys are a six and a half, seven point favorite at home against the Patriots. It's a game. The Cowboys should easily win. This to me is a a really good game to get a gauge on what the Cowboys are going to be because if the Patriots can keep it close and Belichick is the head coach, you can absolutely see that happen. Uh, Diggs's injury was huge to this defense. They're trying to recover from that. But what happens if the Patriots go into Dallas and beat the Cowboys? Then the Cowboys are in a free fall. But I think the Cowboys find a way to win. But that 49ers, again, I'm looking at it as a 49ers. Everything continues for me to fall in line with why the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. And it just seems like all the dominoes to this point just continue to fall in the 49ers' favor, and, and this is just another one of them. So, the, the, and the chatter with the Niners uh, over the last few days, uh, and people are on different sides of it. Peter King uh, has, has come out from uh, NBC, uh, and basically he wrote a column, and he went on, uh, I think it was uh, Pro Football Talk, and he said, why is everyone praying for Brock Purdy's downfall? And that is the other side of it, is that there's a lot of these NFL insiders and writers and such that are like, Brock Purdy's nothing. He's he's on a great team. He's not as good as he as as a lot of people think he is. But at what point do we say Mister Irrelevant is as good as a lot of people will never give him credit for? I think he's better than a lot of people will never give him credit for. I don't think he's the most athletic quarterback. I I think when you look at his skill set and you put him at the combine, he's never going to stand out. But he knows how to read defenses. He knows how to set the offense up for success. He doesn't make the stupid plays of, say, a Kirk Cousins in crunch time. He has the experience. I believe he was a four-year starter at Iowa State. So he has 
the experience behind him. It wasn't like Trey Lance. I started one year in college football, so I had 12 games of college football experience. You know, he had 48 games at the college level, I believe. Uh, and he knows how to play the game. He's smart. He's intelligent. Give him credit for knowing who he is and knowing how to put his team in the best position. And that's one of the things that kind of bothers me about the typical fans and, and the media is we all want to say, hey, look, he's not Aaron Rodgers, so let's criticize him. Accept him for who he is, and believe me, Brock Purdy is exceeding everyone's expectations because he is not the elite quarterback, and he's still playing at that level. There's no way we can finish a review of uh, of Sunday without talking about the Miami Dolphins scoring 70. Some people are saying this offense is unstoppable. They're literally already talking about them setting the scoring record for the season. Obviously, 70 points in the NFL is impressive no matter who you do it against. What are we looking – and I know you love their head coach, another former Niner guy. Uh, what are we really looking at in Miami? I like Miami. They have a lot of speed at the skill positions. You look at it and like Tyree Kill – you know, I think he has the fastest play from scrimmage at like going 22 miles per hour. I mean, they have three guys who have, I believe have exceeded the 21. So this is a team that has speed. Mike McDaniel, a head coach who knows what he has, has a system and puts players in the right spots at the right time. They're not a 70 point team. They're a very good team. And we're going to find out this weekend in Buffalo because normally one of the things I would look at is a team hangs 70. If team hangs 50 points, I'm not even going to 70. You really got to look to go against them the following week because you can't continue to perform at that level. But Buffalo has serious questions here. This is a game that normally I would be looking at betting Buffalo, but I want to sit back, just enjoy the game. <laughs> and let's find out, are the Bills for real? Are the Dolphins for real? And, and if they're both as good as we think they are, this is going to be an outstanding game, but don't take the Dolphins lightly. They are a really good team. I'm just not sure their defense is good enough to take them deep into the playoff season and possibly to the Super Bowl. And that's my hesitation with the Dolphins right now. I think they are a top six team in the NFL. I'm not ready to put them number one because their defense still has to prove it to So me. you mentioned earlier at one of your rules, you don't like teams to stay undefeated. Every team needs a loss, so we're not getting into that 12th, 13th, 14th week where everybody's staring at you, waiting for you to stumble, and then you get in the pressure of, do we even do we have to play our starters because we're going to go undefeated, et cetera. There's only three undefeated teams after three weeks. The Dolphins, the Eagles, the Niners. The question becomes, are any of them even built to scare us, like to get to double digits. If you look at the Dolphins, you already mentioned, they got to play the Bills twice still. They got to play the Eagles, and they got to play the Chiefs amongst others. The Eagles have to play the aforementioned Dolphins, as we just said. They got to go into Kansas City. The Eagles have to uh, host the, the Bills, and then the Niners in back-to-back -back weeks. The Niners, after they deal with Arizona and Dallas, the Bengals, Joe Burrow, we don't know. Philadelphia, they got to go to Philly. That's in week 13. You, The Niners, to me, as biased as I am, are almost the ones, and I hate this, that are most built to possibly be 12-0, and 0, or would they be 12 or there's by? They'd be 11-0 for that that game where they go into Philadelphia, and I would almost be rooting for them to lose. But did, what do you do? Are any of them even going to get to 8-0, 9-0? Uh, the game for me that sticks out, and I think people are going to find this as a surprise, to me is the 49ers the week after the Cowboys here in three weeks goes at Cleveland. Oh. 
you would look at it and go, the Cleveland Browns, yeah, they can never win. But the Niners are going to be coming off a big game against the Cowboys. They're going up against Cleveland. And Cleveland is surprisingly under the radar with their defense. Their defense is giving up a little over three yards per play. The 49ers defense, which we all consider the best defense in the NFL, is giving up 4.19 yards per play, which is outstanding. Anything under five is good, but Cleveland has given up one touchdown this entire season. And you look at that, and then you break into, they haven't, uh, I think they've given up, what is it like? They haven't even given up 10 first downs in any game to their opponent all season. So they're giving up, I think, around seven first downs for a team. That is incredible. Their defense is playing lights out. The 49ers coming off a big win against the Cowboys. That, to me, is the possible blip on the schedule. I would not be surprised if San Francisco went into Cleveland if they beat Arizona and the Dallas goes into Cleveland and Cleveland gives them a much better game. I'm not sold to Sean Watson's the answer, right. but this Cleveland defense is playing outstanding football. And if they can keep the game close, force a couple of turnovers, I, I think Cleveland could be the game that the 49ers stub their toes. So you're more accustomed as a lifelong suffering Lions fan to be on the other end of that conversation, which is are any teams going to go winless? You got four so far, the Panthers, the Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings. Um, the Broncos are a, a nightmare. But do you see any of these teams challenging going 0-17? The only team I can put in there, I, I don't think the Broncos do. I think Sean Payton's way too good of a head coach. There's no way he can allow the team to go 0-17. I, I, the Vikings still have some talent. I, I don't think that they're going to go oh for – but the Bears, I, I mean, if they can't get on the same page with Justin Fields and play to his strengths and continue to try to play to his weaknesses, they don't have a very good defense. They don't have a lot of offensive weapons. If this coaching staff continues to fight what their ability is with their quarterback, that's the team that I could see doing it. I don't think they will. I, I think Justin Fields will find a way to do what he did last year against the 49ers and pull out an upset win that nobody saw could happen and, and just find a way to play a good game. But to me right now, that offensive scheme does not fit what Justin Fields' strengths are. And the coach either has to adjust or Justin Fields has to figure it out and say, look, I know you're playing to my weaknesses, but I better hit the meeting rooms and learn defenses. And I better figure out how to make my weaknesses more of strengths to figure out how to win a game. So let's get to your Lions. They start the season. They beat the Chiefs in an unbelievable Thursday night game. Then they lay a giant egg against the Seahawks, and you're starting to believe, oh, God, what are what are my Lions doing after they went into the season with P – I mean, they're so vaunted. They gave them the opening game of the season. Um, and you were saying last week, if they lose to the Falcons, I am going to be just at rock bottom. What about tomorrow night? They got to go into Green Bay. How you feeling and how important is it? I mean, it's a it's a division game, and and this is where isn't this where they got to step up and and write themselves big bigger I, than last week? I think they need to. I think right now everyone's going to say it's the Lions and the Packers. They're the best two teams in that division, hands down. Not even a competition. So the Lions need to make a statement. They've struggled in 
Green Bay. They're not a, you know, but you're going up against Aaron Rodgers and you're going up against Brett Favre. So they really haven't won in Green Bay in forever. They got their chance. Jordan Love has played much better than I expected going into the season. He's been a pretty good quarterback to this point. The Packers defense is always pretty decent. The Packers feature a strong rushing attack. I think this is a great game to find out. If the Lions can go into Green Bay, they are what I thought they were going into the season. But even if they lose, I don't view this as as just a serious blow to the team. If they lose here, okay, they come back the next week. They're home against Carolina. They're at Tampa Bay. You can write the ship. They're pretty quickly off of that. So where it is a big game to show the NFL, your fan base, and all the expectations you had going into the season that, look, we deserve it. We really are a pretty good team, and we are one of the better teams in the NFC it would be nice for them to do it, but even if they lose, I don't think it's a serious setback. So you mentioned, obviously, the marquee game on paper is is Miami at Buffalo. We're going to learn a lot about those two teams. When you look at the slate of games, do you have your eye on one or two upsets? Are there one or two where you're going, that's not going to go the way we all think it is? Now that we've got three games of knowledge, uh, the Buccaneers are at New Orleans. We don't know about Derek Carr's health. Um, I mean, anything stand out to you there? I'm not really looking at the upset part. I will tell you the Falcons and the Jaguars has me mm-hmm. really intrigued. This on paper may not look like the best game, but the Jags off that ugly loss Oof. to the Texans, they have to bounce back. The Falcons, are they the 2-0 and team we saw to start the season, or are they the team that got run over by the Lions last week? So I think we're going to find out a lot about both of these teams in that game. Do you do you on the on those games? How much do you if if at all factor in the we're playing in London thing? Personally, I'm not a fan of these games in London. I know the NFL they want to, you know. There's an article again today on how they're hoping that they can put a team over in Europe. Oh. I'm just not a big fan. I've talked to some very knowledgeable people who have been with franchises and over to these games and what they told me was what's perceived by the press telling us and what was really happening he put it as the circus coming to town the circus comes in we all get excited we go but we really don't know that much about it we make a lot of noise we cheer but we don't we're not dedicated to it we're not huge fans we're not it's just kind of a spectacle hey wow what are they really going to do so I really wonder, even though we hear how involved Europe is and the fan base is, and they really understand the NFL, I'm just not sold that that's the case. And, you know, from an insider who told me, Steve, that's really not the case. That's what we hear, and that's what the NFL wants you to believe. So I'm not a big fan of these games over there. I don't like the 630, but again, falls into it's a business it's another prime time i believe this sunday's games on espn plus so they're paying a lot of money for it and these are the things as a true fan irritate me because it just rubs in my face that it is a business it is all about the money where we like to think of it as that true sport this is what it is let's go out let's determine it on the field little things like this just put it in our face that it is a business. And as much as we want it to be a true sport, 
it's really not. So uh, Falcons and Jaguars, looking at that, uh, and what else? Uh, anything else catching your eye? I'm curious to see how the Commanders bounce back against no. the Eagles. At a certain point, the Eagles have to, you know, come back down to earth a little bit. Commanders a good defense, but Sam Howell really has not played that well. We saw it last week: four interceptions, big game against the Bills. Just couldn't get it done. Eagles defense is really good. So I'm curious to see if Sam Howell will learn from that game or if he will continue to struggle. The commanders to be successful, he has to step up. I just not sold that he's their quarterback of the future there. And the Raiders Chargers, how do the Raiders bounce back now? And the Chargers, they seem to allow their opponents in every game. These two teams play each other really good and and tough. The games are close, but that's another game. If the Chargers go and lose to the Raiders, I mean, their season's over. And and the Raiders, if they find a way to be dysfunctional again and blow it up, you know, Josh McDaniels, he's heading out the door. So these are games I love to watch because – while it's not for the best teams, there's a lot of, to me, inside stories going on there that you like to see how teams react to the adversity and the various things going on and see if they can right the ship or if they continue to be a train wreck. What about that Monday night game, Steve? The New York Giants are almost under the same heading as your Detroit Lions. They were surprisingly good last year. They made the playoffs, and they came into this season with this hype of they're going to be real in the NFC, whereas on the other side of the ball, the Seahawks, a lot of people said, and and people were split on the Seahawks, I'll grant you, a lot of people said, forget it, they're the worst team, they are the Rams are the worst team, well, wait, wait, the Cardinals, they're all bad, and the Seahawks have put up some surprising numbers, and now they got to go across the country, they got to play in New York, it's a Monday night game, but that is an intriguing matchup to me because of those storylines. I, I I like this game. I'm looking forward to it. Daniel Jones had a really good year last year. I love Dable, the head coach for the Giants. I just don't think Daniel Jones is the quarterback we saw last year. He's been a turnover machine his entire career. We're seeing it again this year. Last year, he didn't turn the ball over, which allowed the Giants to be in the games late to allow them to put them in a position to win them. Just not going to happen this year. Seattle, a lot of good young talent. We all thought when Russell Wilson left Seattle that this franchise would fall on their faces and just be bad for the next several years. Pete Carroll, to me, is still an excellent head coach. He continues to do it. He's turned that roster over how many times, and he still makes them relevant. They're not an elite team, but you know what? He always puts them in a position to win. Geno Smith's in their quarterback. This guy's been around the league forever. Was never even considered a good backup quarterback. Now, You know, last year he leads the league in completion percentage. This year, I think he's still completing close to 70%. Pete Carroll puts in a great system, has a quarterback that fits that system, and the Seahawks are a pretty good team. Uh, It's a pick game. It's tough to go against the home team on Monday Night Football, but this is another game I'm looking forward to. I think it's a – I really think it's a good matchup, especially because the Giants have more to lose than the Seahawks do to gain. If the Seahawks go into New York and they lose, okay, they're, they're still okay. The Giants can't lose. And if they do, they're, 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 the wheels are starting to come off now. That that And you can play that both ways. Does that make the Giants more desperate and more prone to mistakes? I think you're right. Two great head coaches. Pete Carroll has a lot more experience. Does he Is he able to poke these holes into this? Now that I'm hyping this game up, it's going to be like 37-3 at uh, one side or the other. But I, on paper, I think that one's the second most intriguing matchup 
after, of course, the Dolphins and Bills. Yeah, and Saquon Barkley's injury has not helped the Giants. I believe he's supposed to be. He's listed as questionable, if I'm correct. Um, I think he's planning on playing this weekend. The Giants to be successful, they need Barkley playing at full strength and being quality running back to take that pressure off Daniel Jones. Because Daniel Jones being expected to carry that team, throw the ball 50 times and lead the team to victory just isn't going to happen. All right, that does it for this episode of Mixed Picks on Rad TV. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. or anytime afterwards. You can watch or listen at members.radradio.com. Every Mixed Picks on Rad TV podcast is available across all podcasting forums weekly on Thursday mornings. And if you want to hear Steve even more, he joins us every Monday and Friday during football season on radradio.com. Our pigskin picks are posted at radradio.com, where we pick all the winners and losers, no point spreads. Enjoy all the games this weekend. Steve, we're back here again next Wednesday morning. Thank you, and have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy all the great football games. Hopefully they all turn out to be awesome.